Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. If you don't grab a child when they're young, there's there's no need to write adult books if nobody's really going to read adult books. If you don't create a reader when they're in second grade or third grade, if they can't finish a 40-page book, they're not going to start a 900-page book. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place perspective but always Appalachian and don't forget Will tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our Appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern Kentucky check them out Appalachian meets world we're back for another episode it's Will and Neil what up my man what's going on got a heat wave there yeah a little bit of a heat wave this week Started out a little rainy, which we desperately needed, but man, it's cooking now. In the 90s? 90 plus yesterday. You know, I've always said I like the heat, but one thing that's hard to adjust to is when it's so hot in the mornings, even the lows are are high. You know what I mean? Yeah, the the humidity, man. Humidity will get you in Appalachia. I got one going into middle school and having football practice every night. And uh, that turf, man, on the turf, it's it's 10 to 10 to 12 degrees hotter on that turf. It's unbelievable. Wait till two days start. Uh, they canceled those, man. They, it's a weak society we live in. Kids don't do that. Not two days anymore? No, man. They don't do that anymore. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Everybody gets a trophy too, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. You know that happens. Times have changed, man. CNN, United Shades of America, just had this past Sunday, it featured Appalachia and it talked about being black in Appalachia. If you missed it, it was on Sunday, but you can check it out. CNN, United Shades of America, it highlights black in Appalachia this past Sunday and you can find it anywhere you watch TV. Ask Anything Friday, question of the week. Got a question for us? It is. We got a a listener who who apparently listens quite a bit that wrote in with a question. Her name is Denise. Her question is, Will, what kind of advice would you give to a young person who wants to start their own podcast? Really good question. I I would say my my piece of advice is just do it. You just got to start. It's free. It's easy. I hope Nike's not listening because we said just do it. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, anybody can do it. That's the, that's the great thing about it. I, I would, I would say this, you know, number one, it's a lot more work than people think just getting content, but I would say you need to have a, have a plan and a purpose and a focus because, you know, you and I talk about it all the time. We could go a million different directions with this thing, but really we've tried to remain focused on highlighting Appalachia, whatever form that is, that's kind of our main focus. And I would tell anybody that wants to start this, you, you need to have a focus. Very good point, Neil. Couldn't have said it better myself. Y'all keep writing in, keep, keep sending us questions because we got answers. We just don't, we just don't know who to tell. <laughs> There, there is one thing I wanted to mention. SOAR, they are promoting community placemaking throughout Eastern Kentucky, but also 
how important community placemaking is for Appalachia in general. You know, there are so many small towns throughout Appalachia that are really the backbone of the region. And community placemaking, if you're not familiar, really combines planned efforts to transform downtowns, main streets, commercial hubs, really into desirable spaces and experiences that encourage connection, encourage a sense of place, a sense of solidarity among the community. Plenty of efforts, plenty of grants out there to help these small towns plan for community placemaking. And one of the things I did want to mention is that the Appalachian Impact Fund, which is a fund that we have had on this program before, they provide grants to help communities with their community placemaking. It's really important for a small town. I wanted to mention that. Uh, also wanted to talk about some of the small businesses that are in small towns. One of those that kind of serve as the anchor in a lot of these communities are bookstores. Yeah, Will, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to tonight's guest that we're going to have on that actually owns one of those bookstores in a small town. An Appalachian, he, his name is Kevin Coolidge. He's from Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, and he owns a bookstore there locally in the small town of Wellsboro, and it's called From My Shelf. We've highlighted bookstores before on here. I just wanted to mention a few and give them a shout out. There are several small bookstores throughout the region that are well known and, and very successful. You know, it's not always easy opening a small bookstore. And like I said, bookstores ser serve as almost as an anchor in a lot of communities. They do more than just supply books. They have a lot of things going on. It's a destination attraction. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Chapters Bookstore in Galax, Virginia, to the Coffee Tree Books in Moorhead, Kentucky, Firestorm Books in Asheville, North Carolina, Foggy Pine Books in Boone, North Carolina, Little Professor Bookstore in Athens, Ohio, Malaprops Bookstore in Asheville, North Carolina, Southland Books in Maryville, Tennessee, Taylor Book in Charleston, West Virginia, The Fuzzy Duck in Moorhead, Kentucky, Totem and Wheatberry in Chillicothe, Ohio, Union Avenue Books in Knoxville, Tennessee, The Whitewell Bookstore, very well known in Pittsburgh, PA, Wordplay, Wardensville, West Virginia, Reed, R-E-E-D, Books in Birmingham, Alabama, The Bookshelf in Tryon, North Carolina, The Alabama Booksmith in Homewood, Alabama, and one that we have highlighted before, the Red Spotted Newt in Hazard, Kentucky. They not only do a lot for readers in the community, they do a lot for the community in general. Yeah, well, uh, like you mentioned, a lot of other events go on at bookstores that those local business owners put a lot of time, energy, and effort into. And I, I'm very much appreciative of those people. I wanted to mention bookstores because just to get a little personal for a second, you know, I have two children that have been diagnosed with dyslexia. They struggle with reading, and so they need a lot of extra work. And here where, where I live, there are a lot of opportunities for them to get special attention in regards to their dyslexia, whether it be through the public school system. There are also uh, several private schools that focus on dyslexia in my area. I don't know if you have that there. Yeah, there's a community school up in Eastern Kentucky, Will, that uh, has a great program uh, related 
to dyslexia at the Heinemann Settlement School. It's a great program up in Heinemann, Kentucky that's not too far from me, and, and it's been around for a long time now, and that's one of their primary focuses. Yeah, and we wanted to mention them because we also have one from their dyslexia program on the program tonight. Yeah, Ola Pigman is going to join us also tonight on, on, on our episode. Yeah, and our focus is really on the services that they provide in regards to the dyslexia program. I didn't mention that because, Neil, the, the uh, other guest that we have on, Kevin, that you mentioned, he has a series, a book series called Totally Ninja Raccoons, and they are geared towards what he likes to call reluctant readers. They are catered towards dyslexic readers. We wanted to have him on in unison with the program that the Heinemann Settlement School yeah, I think it's going to be two great guests for our listeners to learn a little bit more about not only dyslexia, but small town businesses and also programs throughout Appalachia that that uh, help reluctant readers. All right, let's go. Looking forward to it. On this special episode, we have Ola Pigman from the Heinemann Settlement School. She is the Director of the Dyslexia Program at the Heinemann Settlement School, which is the first rural social settlement school that was established in America and the most successful since its establishment in 1902. So, Ola, we wanted to thank you for being on the program. We appreciate your time very much. Well, thank you for having me. We want to ask you really, really quick, like most Appalachians, Neil and I, our family, we're big on tradition. And one of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. Usually we have way more appetizers than we actually have of the meal. So we want to ask you real quickly, do you have a favorite appetizer or just a holiday dish? It would have to be something sweet. (laughs) Oh, you go straight for the dessert, right? Banana pudding. Hot or cold banana pudding? Uh, cold. cold. Okay. Have you ever had it warm? I think I have. Yes. Our, our mom makes it warm with a nice meringue on top and uh, it's really good. We'll have to have you over for Thanksgiving. Okay. That'd be great. <laughs> we'll just ask you to let our listeners know just kind of what the purpose of the Heinemann Settlement School is. I, I mentioned it was established in 1902. It was actually quoted as one of the best schools in the mountains. Can you just Talk about its mission or the purpose of the Heinemann Settlement School. Well, I guess our mission sort of goes back to like our motto. It's celebrating heritage and changing lives. We really want to emphasize our culture here in the mountains. Uh, We have a very rich tradition of, you know, music, uh, that type of thing, folk arts, and also the importance of, you know, the changing lives. A good education is so important. So that's something that our dyslexia program really focuses on is, you know, teaching children to read. In today's world, if you can't read, your chances of really being successful in life really are cut down. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you mentioned earlier how long you had been there. Uh, can you just tell our listeners again, how, how long have you been at the Heinemann Settlement School? It's around 25 years. I started in 1993, however many years that is. I actually got my first degree in sociology back a long, long time ago and never did really do anything with that. And then in the early 1990, I went back to school and got my degree in education. 
and then I started uh, working at the settlement school. Awesome. We're uh, we're a product of a, of an educator. Our mother was a longtime English teacher, so we appreciate all educators. So thank you for your career to this point. We already mentioned that you're the head of the dyslexia program. Can you tell our listeners what that entails there at the school? What what is the dyslexia program, and and how does it work? Mm-hmm. Our program really has three different major areas. We have our after-school tutoring program. With that, this past uh, year, we served around 60 children. I think about 30 of those kids were served in person, and then about 30 more we that we served remotely. We also have a summer school program. That's probably one of our favorite ones. We've been doing that the longest, and the summer school program uh, this past summer, uh, we just actually finished it last week. We served 30 students here in person and then another 30 remotely. Besides that, then we have a program where we actually work with elementary schools in four different uh, counties, Knott County, Perry County, Leslie County, and now Bell County. Last year, we were actually able to serve over 400 students uh, with that program. That has really been a big boost to our program being you know, part of AmeriCorps. That, that's incredible. When exactly did the dyslexia program start there at the Heinemann Settlement School and why was it originally established? Did you see a need in the area for this type of service? We actually started about 40 years ago. Lois Combs Weinberg is the person who actually got the program started. She started because her son was diagnosed as dyslexic and at that time there wasn't any services in this area for a couple years. I think she traveled back and forth to Louisville, getting him the special help that he needed. But she quickly observed that there were so many people here in Knott County that were struggling with the same problems. And so she finally decided, well, they can do it in Louisville. We can do it here. That's great. Are there any other comparable dyslexia programs in the area, or is Heinemann Settlement kind of the only one? Heinemann Settlement School is one of the few in the state. No one else here in our eastern Kentucky. Louisville has a program. I think there's one down in western Kentucky, but that's about it, really. You know, Neil and I talk all the time on this program about the incredible things that are happening in the mountains, but a lot of time there's a capacity issue. So without your program, I imagine there would be a lot of students that would struggle. So it's definitely a godsend that your program is there, and it's been there for so long and it's so successful. I think it really has made a big difference. One thing that we have found, a lot more people are dyslexic than is really realized by most people. Uh, It's actually about 15 to 20 percent of the people are dyslexic. It's just that, you know, it can range from very, very mild to severe. We have found that this area seems to be on the higher side of the number of people that have dyslexia. Really? Uh, Probably because it is inherited and, you know, we have a small population. Yeah, that's a a really good point. I, I think I mentioned to you before, I have two dyslexic children. As they were diagnosed and as I was learning more, I did learn that it is inherited as they were, like I said, as they were being diagnosed, I was learning a little bit more about myself, but a lot of the diagnosis of being dyslexic, I almost saw in myself when I was younger. I was never diagnosed. I was, I never had problems in school, but I was always a slow reader. What about writing? That's usually one of the 
first areas that it really shows up even more so than reading. It was always harder for me to write than my peers, mm -hmm. meaning it would take me longer to think about. Mm -hmm. It would take me longer to organize my thoughts. I felt like I always had to work a little bit harder. Than right. that. So and maybe what, you're diagnosing me here. Uh, I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, foreign language? Did you take a foreign language? Just because we had to. I took French. I do not remember any of it. That was one of the hardest things for me to do was to take a foreign language, so understand and learn a foreign language. That's really one of the ways when we're looking at adults, we look at things like, did they struggle with writing? Did they struggle with uh, learning a foreign language? So that's a real strong indication that you may be, and you're probably on the very mild end of it. Dyslexia is just one of those things that my, my my daughter has actually grown into taking pride in, into having dyslexia. She likes the fact that she learns differently, which is how we've explained it to her that there, exactly. she doesn't really have a problem. She just learns a little bit differently than right. her peers. And she appreciates that. Right. And, you know, I try to tell parents when I'm talking with them, you know, don't feel like this is, you know, something bad. Look at it as a positive because almost always dyslexics have an area in which they're actually gifted. Pick out what that area is and give them all the support that they need, then the sky's the limit as to what they can do. I mean, when you look at the list of people out there that are dyslexic and what they've done, I mean, it's it's amazing. Do you diagnose there we, at the school? No, we do not do a diagnosis. All we do is an educational evaluation and basically look, do they have the characteristics of dyslexia? What is your staff size and what is your typical student population? Well, like I said, we've grown tremendously in the last two years with AmeriCorps. I guess our staff is probably about 35. Like I said, last year, we probably served around 500 students. I know you mentioned the Weinberg family earlier. Uh, I know they're kind of synonymous with Knott County. Do they still help contribute to the school? Ms. Weinberg, yes, is she's on our board of directors with the settlement school. And, you know, she's always there. You know, anytime we have a question or anything, she's there to help us. You know, you affect an entire region that, like we said before, without your services, there would be none. Right. One thing I want to kind of push, like I said, we just finished our summer school program. And our average gain during the five-week program was five months in reading. We also offer math during our summer school, and we had an average gain of a year in three months. Oh, wow. So five weeks, I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. And that was the in-person. We also do, you know, a virtual summer school, and average gain for reading with that was five months as well, and the average gain with math was a year and six months. Is that everyday attendance? Yes. It's five weeks, five days a week, and they go from eight o'clock in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon, and we work the whole time. It's not play. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Where, how, do, how do people find out about this program and where can they go if they are interested? Most people find out simply by word of mouth. We you know, do try to do some publicity. We have a website on Facebook, that type of thing, but usually it's word of mouth. And anyone who is interested, if they want to get in touch with us, they can uh, contact the website at HeinemanSettlement.org. And our phone number is 606-785-4044. Perfect.
In tradition of, of what we always ask our guests, I do have to ask you this question, and I, I'm looking forward to the answer. But we always, I, we told you earlier, we're our job or our role here is just to kind of gas up Appalachia and tell, right. tell our listeners all the great things going on in, in Appalachia. But I'm just curious, what as a longtime Appalachian, longtime Eastern Kentuckian, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word Appalachia? Home. I love it. I yeah, love that, it. that's a great answer because we also ask our guests just where do you call home and what makes it home to you? For me, it's at Pine Top, Pine Top, Kentucky. And uh, this is where my husband grew up. The property that we live on uh, has been in his family for, well, his great, great, great grandfather that fought in the Revolutionary War is buried on the property. Wow. So that's home for, for us. Awesome. Very, very cool. I love that history. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, we just wanted to really ha- talk about the Heinemann Settlement School, have you on to talk about the dyslexia program specifically, but the Heinemann Settlement School, you know, it's been around, like we said, for a century, does some incredible work to really maintain that heritage, maintain that culture that Appalachia is known for, but also, you know, work towards the future in the region and like the dyslexia program and all the programs that you have there, it's a Simon Settlement School teaching about the cultural heritage, but also the future of Appalachia. We appreciate that. We commend you for your services and thank you as well. Thank you for having me. native of Wellsboro, Pennsylvania in Tioga County. He is a small business owner of the From My Shelf bookstore there in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, and a children's author of the book series Totally Ninja Raccoons. Kevin, we want to thank you for being part of the show and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Like most Appalachians, our family is big on tradition. And one of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. Usually, big spread of appetizers, more than the actual meal. We wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just a holiday dish? If I went to my grandmother's, there was always some type of food on the table. And the longer you stay, the more food comes out on the table. I think my favorite, it's, it's a classic, is the cheese and crackers because... There's so many different types of cheese and so many types of crackers that it's easy. It pleases pretty much everybody in Tyler County. We know this is cold country. No, so we have some Polish sausage or some kibasa, maybe some deer meat sausage on there. And that's, I think that's probably my favorite. Nice. We definitely want to get into your book series, The Totally Ninja Raccoons. But before that, I wanted to ask you about your bookstore, From My Shelf Bookstore. You know, we talk about the significance of buying local. We talk about the significance of local shops, especially in downtowns or or local communities. How important is your bookstore there to the community of Wellsboro? And how hard is it to keep a local bookstore uh, open? I think it's very important. We've been a part of the community for 16 years as a bookstore. And of course, both me and I run the store with my wife. My wife's the manager because she's the organized one. We really need each other. I always say, because this is where I'll give my wife the most credit. I mean, I'm good at it too, but we're, we're kind of a local chamber of commerce. Book people and, and small business owners in general, we know a little bit about everything. Some people come in here and it was just the other day. They're like, well, where can I buy a straw for my camelback? 
And of course, we knew the place to send them to. You know, we're connected. We know what's going on in the community. We're part of the community, and it, it's important to us. And how hard is it? Well, it's it's hard. We work seven days a week, especially this time of year. This is our busy time of year. So, I mean, we're here every day. And I remember I would tell my dad sometimes about some of the stuff we do. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound like an easy way to make a living. And my dad, he, he's a truck driver. You know, he grew up farming. And I'm like, well, dad, if you knew an easy way to make a living, you should have told me. <laughs> exactly. You know, especially with digitization, local bookstores in a lot of places suffer because of that. But I think, like you said, Local bookstores are also important parts, anchors of a community and can be very important. You said you opened the bookstore 16 years ago. What led you to do that there in your community? We opened the bookstore because I was, well, of course, I still am like a big book lover and my wife was. So when we met, my wife was selling books part time online and I was selling books part-time online. No, there was only so much room I had. So I would sell some of my previously read books on, I was, at that time, it was Halfcom. And my wife was doing that when we met and we moved in together and we, conver- and we converged all our books. We had enough book to pretty much open a bookstore. And one of the things we enjoyed doing as a couple was going to use book sales or use bookstores. And I was working in a factory at the time. And I really wanted out. And like, well, let's go ahead and try opening up. A, there's a little space opened up on our main street downstairs. And it was only like 600, 700 square feet. And we're like, well, let's try doing that. So we tried, we opened, and we were only used when we opened. No, no matter how many books you have, it's never enough. Some people wanted some new books. So we signed up for a wholesaler and started getting some new books in. And it just kind of grew. So that was 16 years ago, and we're now in our third location. We're about 1,500 square feet, and we have about 40,000 books at any one time. Wow. Have you read all 40,000? I haven't read all 40,000. I am a big reader. I read about two books a week. This year, I started keeping a book diary, and I just recently started my 51st book yesterday. Wow. That's that's incredible and impressive. <laughs> Kevin, we wanted to get into your, your book series, The Totally Ninja Raccoons. Uh, I think there's nine current books in the series, and I think you have just written book 10, which we can talk about later. Yes. But really, they're geared towards, well, I think, what you refer to as reluctant readers. Was there a reason for that? Is that purpose-driven? And that's- can you talk a little bit about the series? Yes, I chose that uh, demographic specifically because I come from my experience as a bookseller. They're specifically geared towards boys because there's a lot of books geared towards girls. And girls seem to prefer reading a little bit more than boys. No, they're geared for right around second grade because from my, my personal experience, it's right around second grade that if you don't, if you really don't grab a boy that time for and embrace his love of reading, then he starts falling behind. I feel it's never too late to engage a reader, but the later you engage them, the harder it is to bring them to the love of reading. I see that as a crucial point. So I specifically chose that age bracket. I basically write books that I would want to read when I was in second grade. They're fun. I don't make them preachy. I don't write down. I mean, they're specifically designed, but that means chapters a little bit shorter. It's kind of like, how does a werewolf eat an elephant? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> one bite at a time. <laughs> so, so you make those chapters small so they can take one bite at a time and then they can feel some accomplishment. Then you can go on to something else. It's kind of the whole 
you need to walk before you can run. Yeah, it's like a stepping stone with reading. I have two dyslexic children who struggle with reading. They both enjoy reading, but the further they progress in school, the harder it gets. So the less that they read. It's very important for them to build that stepping stone to accomplish something so they can grow. I was just going to ask, how did you come up with the name? Well, the name, I wanted something that was catchy. And for me, it's like raccoons are already natural ninjas. I mean, they have the mask. They have those clever little fingers. They're always climbing up something. I mean, they're very good at locks. They're natural little ninjas. And it just kind of went from there. So the characters, there are three different raccoons. Is that? There's three raccoons. They're brothers. And I I mean, I'm brothers specifically because... Boys tend to want to read more about boys. No, even though these are animal brothers, girls seem to not care as much. I wrote two boys. Now, luckily, both boys and girls like this series, but it's a little bit more focused on boys. So I focused it. I made them brothers. So they have this, you know, this sibling rivalry going on. But at the same time, just like real brothers, I mean, they're important to each other. But no, they fight. Sometimes they don't always agree with each other. They usually do the right thing, but not always for the right reason. The three ninjas. Do you have a favorite ninja? The ninja raccoons are Bandit, Rascal, and Kevin. They're all their own personalities, and it's fun because they each have their distinct voices. So do I I have a favorite? And and kids ask me this, and sometimes they ask me, what's my favorite book? And And I say it's like picking your favorite flavor of ice cream. I mean, I like them all. I try to give them equal screen time. When I'm writing about them, they all have different strengths and all have different weaknesses. Yeah, so I don't really have a favorite. How did you first become a writer and and why? Well, I've always loved stories. So I I love books, you know, stories my grandpa would tell me. I actually started back in fourth or fifth grade. And what I started with was with comics. So I had a friend who he drew comics and it was kind of the whole beginning of the shared universe. Actually, that was right back when the original Star Wars came out. We had a comic that was kind of spoofing Star Wars. We used some of those characters. And of course, we were fifth grade boys. So instead of Darth Vader, we had Barth Vader because, you know, because we were fifth graders and it was kind of the beginning of the shared universe. So a lot of us, we use those same characters in a comic strip, and then we kept them all together. And of course, this is pre-digital, so this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. So we had this huge folder that once we did a comic, that we'd put them in with the rest of them. And we, by the end of the year, it was this huge folder. And then I developed my my own comic strip. It just kind of went from there. So I always, I've always enjoyed stories. And I think that's the way that people connect is through their stories in your book series, all of them are based around a cryptid or some type of mythical creature like Bigfoot, like the Loch Ness Monster, like Krampus, a werewolf, the Jersey Devil. Have you ever considered doing specific Appalachian cryptids as cryptids are kind of mythical creatures of Appalachia? And there's a lot of storytelling around that, like the Mothman. I don't know if you've heard of the Mothman in West yeah, Virginia. Of course, of course I've used, I've heard of the Mothman and that's probably one that I'll use in the, in the future. And actually the, the cryptids that I have used so far have some basis in Pennsylvania. So for oh, example, nice. I use in the third one, the secret of the Canyon, 
I use a side hill gouger, which is kind of specific to Pennsylvania folklore. A thunderbirds have have had sightings in this area, and of course, werewolves are big in Pennsylvania because of the my, my speculation is probably because of the Germanic population. Of course, Pennsylvania is number three in Bigfoot sightings, and I'm also working on one now that is more Pennsylvania specific. Yeah, a lot of things I have is tied in with Pennsylvania. And why I picked cryptids is Bigfoot is still popular. I loved the idea of Bigfoot when I was a kid. And, and actually, if you love dinosaurs when you're a kid, you never outgrow that. I mean, that's why Jurassic Park is so huge. You know, once you love dinosaurs, you never really stop. So that, that call of the unknown, I think, is what really calls for kids. And that's kind of the reason I put it in there. And in the back, I have a little bit of information about it to help build a reading culture. It's not for me to just sell my books but for them to get interested and read other books as well. Your books are also, they're based in Tioga and Potter County, correct? Is that important for you to keep it local? It was important for me because when I was writing them, a book has to be set somewhere. Writers are supposed to write what they know. I go one farther and I write where I know. By writing about the areas I know, I think part of that comes through in the writing. Even though I'm not heavy on description, I still feel that having that setting local is is important to me why children's books because if if you don't grab a child when they're young there's there's no need to write adult books if nobody's going to read adult books if you don't create a reader when they're in second grade or third grade they're not going to read the john grissom they're not going to read stephen king if they can't finish a 40 page book they're not going to start a 900 page book so you have nine books in the series and i read that you just completed book 10 is that I just completed book 10, and book 10 is The Totally Ninja Raccoons Discover the Lost World. And this one has pterodons in it. So pterodactyls, pterodons, and I have it set at the Cowdersport Ice Mine. The Cowdersport's about an hour from, from Wellsboro. It's a natural phenomenon that from about April through September, October, it forms ice. But there's no ice there in the wintertime. As part of that, I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite book? People ask me what my favorite book, and that is, that's so hard because it depends on the genre. It depends on on my mood. Right now, like one of my favorite authors is William Kent Kruger. He writes mysteries, and I haven't, I, I've only recently started writing, reading mysteries here probably in the last year. And a lot of books, the setting is as much a character as some of your main protagonists. And I just love the way he writes. So those are my favorite books right now. But if you ask me that next week, I probably have a different answer for you. Yeah. I kind of know the area you're from, but just to tell you a little bit about our podcast, the the purpose of our podcast is just kind of gas up Appalachia and tell the world about all the great things going on in Appalachia. I was just curious, do you have a favorite part of Appalachia and why is it your favorite part? Here in north central Pennsylvania, we're kind of the upper end of Appalachia. And this is my favorite part because I'm from here. My family goes back several generations. I've lived in different parts of the country, but there's nothing like there's nothing like this area to me. I mean, this area, especially this time of year, I was I was just coming back. We, we me and my wife went out to dinner tonight. We were driving back to Wellsboro, and it's so green. And I forget that sometimes, even though I live here. Like if I go somewhere else and I come back, it's just so green. It's the hills, the vegetation. I mean, that's I mean that's home. 
to that point, and you just answered a lot of our questions there with that one, and I love it. But uh, to that point, I always ask all of our all of our guests, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What's the first thing that rolls off the tongue when I say that word to you, Appalachia? That's a hard question because even though I'm from the Appalachia area, people seem like that it's backwards and it's not. I mean, we have writers, we have artists, we have industry. So one of the things that comes to my mind is underrated. We're underrated in a lot of ways and that's not right. Main reason why we started this podcast, really, like Neil said, the gas up Appalachia, but also dispel the misconceptions that people have of, of the region, which is what you are alluding to. One other question we always ask everyone, and you you, you kind of already answered it, but just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? No, I, I call Tyler County home because it's where my family's from. And that doesn't necessarily make a place home, but both me and my wife are from here. And I, I sometimes joke that my wife's not because she only goes back three generations. So we have a we have a dairy farm that's you know been in the family since before the the American Civil War. It's just a sense of place here. I mean, I, I go somewhere else and I always come back. Home speaks to you when you're there. You just know it. It's a great answer. Neil and I talk about a lot going away, but then coming back and feeling that sense of relief, that sense of comfort when you actually hit those Appalachian Mountains. I wanted to just commend you for your ninja series, raccoon series, of how it's focused towards the reluctant readers. I, I greatly appreciate that. Like I mentioned before, you know, my two kids are dyslexic and having books out there that are appropriate for them or catered towards their needs, I think is very important. And so I appreciate what you do in regards to that effort. Well, thank you. And I wanted to also give you a shout out for the, I don't know officially what it's called, but it's, I guess, find the Totally Ninja Raccoon in Wellsboro, PA, running through the month of July. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, we made it into a whole, the Totally Ninja Raccoon into a shop local event. So what we do is for the entire month of July, we have the Totally Ninja Raccoons. We have an image of the raccoons hid locally in 25 different businesses. And you have a passport that has all the businesses located. Let's say you go into Tony's Pizza, you find the ninja raccoon, you get a signature or a stamp, and then each stamp becomes an entry. It's a free event, so it's a way for the kids to have fun, kind of like a scavenger hunt. And it's also a shop local event. Because you know how sometimes something's in your backyard and and you haven't really been there for a while? Being in a, a small business, and even though I'm from here, sometimes it takes a while for somebody to come in. It's like, well, it's a way to kind of get people out there and moving around and just check out like either a new business because we you know we have some new businesses in town or just check out an old favorite and kind of have fun at the same time. Great Very cool. Idea. Shout out to Tony's Pizza. Yeah. I love Tony's Pizza. That's one of my, uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite places. <laughs> I love it. Like I said before, you know, I appreciate your book series that's geared towards the reluctant reader, but also there, everything that you do there in the local community with your bookstore, with your books. The Raccoon book series, I just wanted to point out, aren't the only books that you have. You can check out, you want to tell the listeners where they can check out your website and find your other books? Yes. So we're a bookstore in Wellsboro, so our, our website's really easy to remember. It's wellsborobookstore.com. We have 40,000 books in stock and we have another million a day or two away. So we do do a lot of shipping. I have my own website for the 
for the Ninja Raccoons. And that's easy to remember. That's kevincoolidge.org. That one is set up just for my books. And of course, you can buy my books from the store's website, wellsboroughbookstore.com. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being, uh, being a guest. And like I said, for doing what you do. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Awesome episode, two great guests. I enjoyed getting to know Kevin a little bit. Also, Ola telling us about the Hyman Settlement School that has been established in Eastern Kentucky for a very long time, as she mentioned. I commend her on all her years of service there. Always grateful for educators in my life, but also educators in general. So Kevin's great bookstore in Wellsboro. And then obviously what Ola does on a daily basis is a great, great piece of Appalachia that I'm glad we got to highlight tonight. The Heinemann School, I don't know if you could tell from the interview, but Ola was so humble during the interview. The Heinemann Settlement School actually, like I said, does incredible work, but it is a pinnacle for the region in regards to what they do to really secure the cultural heritage of Eastern Kentucky of the Appalachian region. They've been around, like we said, for a century. And what they do there doesn't get talked about enough. They have some incredible program, do some incredible work. And that's why we wanted to have them on to not only highlight the dyslexia program, but also highlight the school in general. Anything that sticks around for a century, Will, is pretty well established. So grateful for all she's done in her career there. Absolutely. And if you're ever anywhere near Heinemann, Kentucky, check out their campus. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus, beautiful school, great people. Yes, sir. And Kevin Coolidge with his Totally Ninja Raccoon series. I would recommend it to any any listener out there with, with young children that is looking for uh, a good series of books to read. You guys can get that on kevincoolidge.org or the wellsboroughbookstore.com like Kevin mentioned. And I hope you guys will follow up and go get one of those books. Speaking of that bookstore, Neil, do we do you want to talk about the app biz of the week? The app biz of the week is none other than from my shelf bookstore in Wellsboro, uh, PA that Kevin runs and operates. And uh, really grateful for his contribution over his uh, many years of operating that bookstore <clears throat> there in Wellsboro. And I know the locals sometimes look at, at it like a small chamber of commerce, like you mentioned. Lots of things go into a, a locally owned small business, but in this case, the bookstore serves as many different things in the community of Wellsboro. And I know Kevin and his wife are super proud of, of their bookstore there, and we're grateful that they contribute in such a big way to, to Appalachians there in Wellsboro. Well said. Like we talked about, small bookstores are an important component to a lot of downtowns throughout the region. So we just wanted to highlight his a little bit more, make it the app biz of the week. So I guess after all that, Neil, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains again.